0: Hey everyone, welcome to the House Church Podcast. This is Pastor Jamie here. I'm so glad you decided to join us for today's broadcast. Every time we come together as a church, people encounter God. So my prayer is that you too would experience His presence and hear His voice for yourself. Please enjoy today's message. join me in prayer here as we open the word together. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that you're here in the midst of us for all that you're doing, all that you're going to do. We just say yes, Lord. Say yes and amen. Come and have your way. Come and have your way, Lord. Father, I pray that you would speak. You'd speak to hearts and minds, Lord, that you would grant grace and mercy, Lord, to each one to respond to what you're saying, what you're doing in their lives, Lord, appropriately and Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. Come in every way. Just bless. We bless the rest of our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you got a Bible, if you'd open up to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25 and verse 17. I'm going to read a passage for us and then uh, I'm going to tell you a little story. This is Exodus 25, starting in verse 17. God is giving instructions concerning the Ark of the Covenant and the tent of meeting, the place where God would meet with people and talk to them. And so this is verse 17. You should make a mercy seat of pure gold. The mercy seat was the cover to go over the Ark of the Covenant. You should make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubit wide. Make two cherubim of gold. Make them hammered works at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherubim at one end and the other at the other. And you shall make the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. So it's all one solid piece of gold. The cherubim will have their wings spread upward towards the mercy seat with their wings facing one another. And the faces of the cherubim are to be turned towards the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you will put the testimony which I will give you. Verse 22, There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat between the two cherubim, which are upon the ark of the testimony, I will speak to you about all that I will command for the sons of Israel. This passage is so prophetic. I'll tell you that this is where God spoke to the people of Israel under the Old Covenant, and it is still today where he speaks to you. The work of Christ Jesus has unlocked the reality of your heart becoming that tabernacle, the place of dwelling. It is between, it is the, between the cherub, it is between angels paying attention to what God wants to say. It is upon the mercy seat, it is upon your heart where Jesus' blood has been sprinkled and cleansed you. It's in that center place where God has touched your life, where he talks to you still, and the angels of heaven are still paying attention to what God says. It's the place of mercy where God has encountered you. It's the place of mercy where God speaks to you. That living encounter, and within your life, within the tabernacle of your life, within the the clay vessel of your life, where God's presence is dwelling, Dwells a testimony that still stands today of what Jesus has done in your life, and the angels are paying attention to what God has done in your life before, and what He is speaking to you currently. It is still where God is talking to you, right in that very center place where you encountered Jesus for the first time. Is there anybody alive today? I was uh, on a trip recently. My my family this week we were. Um, blessed to go on a little excursion with Nicole's um, parents. They took us on a trip down to uh, uh, the Ozarks in Missouri, and uh, the Branson area, if you're familiar with it. Anybody ever been? Branson area down there, and, and uh, they, they took some of our younger kids, and Nicole and I went on a little road trip just the last uh, handful of days, and it was wonderful, just time to get away, right? And just be family, have fun, and uh, they were treating, and so it's a lot more fun when you're in Las pay. It's great, okay? And we're, we're we're on this little trip, and and in this trip, I, I had I had multiple experiences happening to me personally. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you stories from this week from me. It's personal. It's hot off the press. Um, I'm tattling on myself. Okay, I do that for your benefit. I tell my bad stories so that you don't have to learn you know by yourself. Okay. Um. And and so this this really happened to me. We're on this trip, and I found myself just like agitated, tense. I don't know why. I, I, have you ever had that where you're just on edge? And I was on edge and, and, and I was asking myself, you know, my wife was asking me, hey, what's going on? I'm like, man, I really don't know. I, I, I think it had something to do with kind of spiritual atmosphere. I think it had to do some external things, but I also knew something was going on in my own heart. And so while I would love to blame it on everything that's happening in the world right now, I'm pretty sure I was just holding on to something. Anybody ever been there? You want to blame it on somebody else, but it's really you? Yeah, okay. I'm having this kind of experience. And in the midst of the trip, the Lord encountered me twice. He encountered me with his mercy and his kindness twice. His voice pulled up near, and he spoke to me. I'm going to tell you both stories. The first one happened... um, one evening we decided to have a campfire out back of the house that they had rented and, and uh, we're roasting some s'mores, enjoying the great outdoors. Uh, it was warm, no weather, no sun. Uh, you know, it was just sunshine and beauty. And uh, roasted s'mores. Any, anybody, okay, this is not to condemn you, but how many people burn their marshmallows? When you're making a s'more, you burn your marshmallows. Like how many would say, this is the right way of making a s'more? Okay, like I said, we're not gonna condemn you, but you're wrong, that's not how you make a s'more. You perfectly toast the marshmallow until it's perfectly brown and it's liquefied on the center. That's, this is how you do it, okay? <laughs> yep. you take the mallow, right? And you put it on the cram, anybody? Nope, okay, all right, wrong crowd. Thank you, who said sandlot? There you go, yep, everybody over 40, that was awesome. We were having this experience, and it's a lot of fun, and, you know, it's, it's getting late into the night, and so the kids and all, all go inside, and everybody's going inside, and my father-in-law and I stayed out to put the fire out, and, uh, and as we're doing that, we're just having this moment, we stepped away from the campfire and noticed the brilliance of the stars, and they were brilliant, shining so bright. It was, it was quite, like, astounding. Uh, My father-in-law, Jim, mentioned it right away. He was like, whoa, I don't know if I've ever seen stars like this. This is what he said. I don't know if I've ever seen stars like this. We're looking over the sky and the constellations are so clear. I mean, you could just like draw the constellations. They're so clear. And and as we're looking at the sky, there is a, a, a bright one. Like so bright. It looks like a searchlight. It looks like one of these like spotlights. And it was, really stood out. And it's clearly, it was not a star, it was a planet. And, and so I'm looking, and I'm like, what planet is that? Because I have never seen something like this before in my whole life. This moment wasn't a normal moment. My father-in-law knew it wasn't a normal moment. I knew it wasn't a normal moment. Immediately, I was feeling the presence of the Lord. Immediately, I knew that God was talking. And when God talks, a little extra comes into your day. Extra. Do you know Extra. The moment is wonderful, and you've been there 50 times before, but suddenly this moment is different than all the other ones? That's God. There's something of the Lord in it. And so we're standing there, and we're looking. I'm like, wow, that is wild. And it turned out it was the planet Venus. I've never seen it like this before. So bright. And right next to Venus is a cluster of stars. And the cluster of stars, I recognized right away, and it was so clear, though, um, it's the, the cluster called Pallades, if you're familiar with it. It's, the, it's seven stars, and they kind of shape a miniature, like, dipper, you know, a little spoon. And, and we're, we're talking, and Jim and I are talking back and forth, and, and he begins to talk to me about our family's history on my wife's side. He says, did you know that my father, Nicole's grandfather, grew up right in this area? You know, so what I thought was just a trip to Branson for a little bit of fun was actually a trip back to some heritage as well. And so we're standing out there, and he starts talking to me about Grandpa Jack, and Grandpa Jack is, is uh, um, you know, was, was a, a hero of mine, if, if you will. He spoke into my life several times while he was still alive, and he, he encouraged us in the Lord, encouraged us in ministry. He was just really a powerful witness to me. And, and so he started talking about his dad, he said, my dad, when he was 16, he grew up in this area— and when he was 16 years old something inside of him said to him you have to leave your household leave home 16 years old can you imagine that he jumps on a train and he heads north the family pulled together their resources. they had like two dollars here you go good luck son 16 years old jumping on a train heading north he's gonna fend for himself for the rest of his days he would start kind of the second branch of the family. He heads north. He works a conservation job and meets Nicole's grandmother and obviously a family starts and our heritage begins in Minnesota. And I am so glad Grandpa Jack jumped on a train when he was 16 years old. Something in him told him destiny lies north and he had to go. And so... Jim is talking to me. My father-in-law is talking to me about these things. And as I'm looking up, I'm looking at that little cluster of stars. And I, and, and I know the story of the Pleiades. If you're familiar, I, I'm somebody who studies the heavens. I enjoy stars. I enjoy stories. And, and I know the story behind this one. See, the story is about the seven sisters who are running from something evil that's trying to get them. And their God takes them, rescues them, turns them into doves, and places them in the night sky so that evil can't touch them. That's the story. Well, the clean version of the story. And as I'm looking at it, because I know this one because the Lord has spoken to me about it many times. See, something in me is stirred. Why? Because I have seven daughters, because I have been standing guard over their life since they were little. And in this moment, I'm feeling the Holy Spirit prompting my heart because everything in me, for some reason recently, has been tensing up around letting go. They're getting older. I'm feeling that tension, the tension of a dad. And the Holy Spirit's prompting my heart, and for some reason, I'm bristling at it. Have you ever felt the Lord nudge you about something, but instead of softening and just accepting it, you're like, uh, probably not, God. Anybody? Bueller, Bueller. There's another 80s joke. Here we go, okay. I'm having that moment and I'm realizing that part of the reason I'm tensing up, part of the reason I'm agitated on this trip is because we've left our three oldest at home to fend for themselves and I don't know what's going on in my own heart, but I know I'm wrestling. I didn't have like a breakthrough moment. It was just the end of the evening. I went inside. It's the end of the night. We have the rest of the trip, and it's a fun trip, and we're on the way home when the second story happens, and I'll tell you that in a moment here, but I want you to point back to the scripture. I want you to look at the scripture again. Look at verse 22. There I will meet with you above the mercy seat between the two cherubim, Upon the Ark of the Testimony, I'll speak to you about all that I'm commanding. Above the mercy seat, over the testimony. Moses' day, he carved out two tablets of stone, and on it he put the Ten Commandments, and those commandments were placed in this Ark. The word Ark there is... Uh, It it literally just means box, but it's cooler to say the Ark of the Covenant than the box that holds the two tablets. So, but some places you'll read, like this scripture, it will talk about it, it'll say it's the Ark of the Testimony. It's the same thing, the Ark of the Covenant, Ark of the Testimony. It's just that those tablets are being referred to now as a testimony, not just those Ten Commandments not just the symbol of the covenant between God and man, because it's a testimony. This word here has a multiple meaning word, and, and this, is, this is what I'm wanting to point out to you, what I'm wanting you to see right now, is that that word testimony has multiple dimensions to it. One means that quite literally, it is representing a previous experience. I just told you a story. That story to me had a testimony in it. My testimony has a symbol of the experience I had. That symbol is those stars. So every time I go out now under the stars and I'll look up and I'll see the cluster of stars, the Pleiades, I will be reminded of something that God was speaking to me. He was saying, son, you can trust me with your daughters. You can let go. You don't have to hold on. I got them. Are you alive? So I'm looking at the stars, and it is a testimony to me. This experience, what's, what does it represent? It represents my experience with God, that encounter. The commandments and this ark, the box that holds the testimony, those commandments represent a living experience that Israel had. They are a testimony, a symbol of an encounter. What was the encounter? Moses took the people to the mountain. God said, Don't go up on the mountain, stand around it, because I'm gonna meet with you, I'm gonna talk to you face to face. And so all of God's people gather around the mountain. God's presence descends, and the people of Israel literally are having a face to face encounter with the manifested God of the universe. They send their leader up the mountain. For 40 days and 40 nights, Moses is up in the pillar of fire that has descended upon this mountain. God's voice is booming like thunder out of it. Moses comes down the mountain with the commandments. These commandments are the reminder of the encounter that Israel had with their God. That on that day, during that time, They were face-to-face with their creator, the Lord. And so every time they see the Ark of the Covenant, they are to be reminded of the testimony of the encounter. What's the encounter? That God wanted to be connected to them. That God was coming face-to-face with them. That God wanted them to be his people. Every time they see the Ark of the Covenant, they're reminded of what this experience was like. It also, the testimony, makes this, the claim, the word literally means to do it again. To testify of what God has done in the past is also to say he is consistent, he is faithful, he will do this again. In other words, what God did in your past, when you continue to hold a witness of what he did in the past it will continue to remind the angels to bring it into your future what he did before he will do again that's literally the definition of faithfulness God is faithful what he did for you before he'll do for you again it's testifying of your testimony That word testimony also means witness. It's literally a witness. It's standing there saying, this happened. This experience happened. When you are a witness for Jesus, what are you doing? You're not out there preaching the four spiritual laws. Please knock that off. I'm I'm being funny, but I'm also being serious. The world does not need to get hit upside the head with the Bible. They need to hear your testimony. Because it's your testimony of what you witnessed God do that actually will release the miracle of him doing it for them. Okay. Come on. Mm. The place of encounter, the place that you will hear God's voice, the place of consistency where God wants to meet with you, where God wants to talk to you, it's the place of mercy. It's the place where he instructs you. He tells you what to do. He commands you. Why does he command you? Because he's a good father. Because this is what dads do. See, see uh, my experience is a little bit like this right now. I'm living it out, right? Because my job as a dad of a two-year-old is not to see what they think about something. If you're reasoning with your two-year-old, it's the reason they're throwing tantrums. They just want to know who's in charge, and they're screaming, is it me? Am I in charge? And you, as a parent, need to say, no, you're not in charge. And as soon as you do, they'll stop. It's called parenting. Please, intervene. Don't feed them what they're asking for. Don't give in to the demands. No, no, they need to know you're in charge, not them. Hello, hello, okay. When you're new in the Lord, I can see how you would misunderstand his goodness because when his goodness comes, you're like, wow, this is amazing. I bet I can do anything I want to do and it's just fine because he loves me so much. And then consequences happen. And you figure out, oh, maybe... When the Holy Spirit speaks to me, I should listen and I should change my courses of action because he approached me with great mercy and kindness because it's who he is. Are you alive? I'm sorry. I'm not mad at you at all. Please, during this sermon today, do not think I am yelling at you. I'm not. I am passionate about this subject, though, because I live it. I live it so often. I meet with people all the time. And in my meeting with people I can see God's kindness visiting them and I can also see their resistance. Experience it a lot. Where someone has had the Lord come to them in mercy and he's trying to get a hold of them but they're not they're misunderstanding it. He's not asking you your opinion. He's commanding your steps. It's covered with kindness and mercy, but he's not asking what you think. We could just end the sermon right there, couldn't we? Just, boom, altar call. Come forward and repent for being dumb. Yes, you. (laughs) That's just. (laughs) I'm way off my notes. All right, here we go. This is, I hope it's a spirit led. I hope it's not my spirit though. Here we go. This is Psalms 95. <clears throat> you guys got this. Psalms 95 verse six. Come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord, our maker. He is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, what day? Today. Thank you. Good job. Today. Today. If you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my works. For 40 years, I loathed that generation. And I said, they are a people who err in their hearts. These are a people who will continue to just follow what they feel is right. They won't listen. You know that God rescued them out of slavery. They're his people. He loves them. God rescued you out of, this, out of slavery to sin. He rescued you out of darkness. He brought you into life, into light. But just because he rescued you doesn't mean you're listening Just because he rescued you and you're having encounters with him doesn't mean you're obeying him. You're going to get a little squeamish in this next part. Just hold, okay? Okay, everyone in here, I know it's going to happen. You're going to ping. It's going to happen, okay? You're going to manifest a little bit. Not a demon. It'll just be you, okay? It's just you. You're going to be uncomfortable. Why? Because I'm poking you in the eye, okay? Because I'm talking to you, and you know I'm talking to you, okay? Okay? But I'm also talking to me because it's a real experience. And all of us go through this. The waters of Massa, the waters of Meribah, it's not a misprint. It's naming two different times that this happened. The first time, God's people came out of the wilderness. Or excuse me, uh, came out of slavery, came out of Egypt. And they're thirsty. They're dying of thirst, in fact. And they begin to mutter and complain to Moses, why did you bring us out here? We're all going to die. And like, give us Water. And for some reason, God saw that as them testing him. Hey, they tried me. They tested me. They saw what I did in Egypt, but they did not trust that I would provide for them. Something in this exchange was them hardening their hearts towards God. Because it says, when when they came here, when, when when you hear God's voice, don't harden your hearts like God's people did in this situation. So something about this situation, they should have known. They just saw God do all this stuff. And so in the next situation, they should have trusted. But for some reason, they bristled and they began to accuse. And they're like, you brought us here to die. You should have just left us in Egypt. We don't trust you, Moses. We certainly don't trust this God of yours. This is what's going on. And so God said to Moses, take your rod and walk over to the rock and strike the rock and water will come out of it. It's a miracle, amazing. And so God has Moses use his authority to force his way. Why? Because the people were resisting him. So authority had to crack it open instead of them submitting and just receiving. Have you ever had to submit to authority? Anybody? Has anybody ever been told to do something and you didn't like it? Every week, you came to church, but you keep coming back. I don't know why. (laughs) I think that's actually why people think I'm annoying is because I'm like, hey, you should do this. And then they're like, no. er. This is what happened with people of God. I'm sure there's other reasons you don't like me either, but that's fine. Like, we can discuss that. They're having this situation where they're saying, we don't want to trust. And God's telling them what to do, but they're hardening their hearts. They're stiffening their necks. They're saying no. What happens to you when you tell your boss, that you are no intention of doing what he told you to do or she told you to do? Do they take out their rod of authority and crack you on the head with it? Right? Can I tell you that there's always going to be rocks, there's always going to be strongholds blocking the path of life, the water. You're going to have things, obstacles in your life that need to get removed out of the way. And so Moses uses his authority to force water upon the people because they were not receiving the miracle God was trying to give them. It's what happened to Jesus in Nazareth. He comes in willing to give them so much, but they stiffen their necks and they harden their hearts and they're offended at him, the vessel. And they're unable to receive the river of life that he was going to give them. The second one is that God's people are thirsty again, and it's the same situation. Only this time, the people are not resistant. Something's going on in their leader. Because God says to Moses, this time, Moses, I want you to walk up to the rock, and I want you to speak to the rock. And when you speak to the rock, it's going to crack open and water's going to come out. But what's Moses do? Moses takes the rod of authority, walks up to the rock, and he strikes it again. You tell me where the attitude problem was happening in this situation. It says in that moment that God says to Moses, you're not going to enter the land of promise now. Moses, in that moment, hardened his heart to God's word. And he resisted, and as a result, he missed out on what was promised. My friends, there's so much destiny piled up over your lives. There's a thousand generations of blessing that is looking to land on you and your family. But your heart has to come into alignment with his ways. And God is speaking to us. Where where from? From mercy. He loves you so much. There's this passage. It says that Moses is encountering God and Moses feels that God likes him. It's Exodus 33. Moses is like, ooh, God likes me. Show me your glory. Right? And so then God says, I'm going to make, I'm going to have my presence go before you. But if you see my front side, you'll like evaporate. So I'm going to put my hand over you and hide you in a rock. Pass by you. Lift my hand. You can see my backside. Okay? And so the experience happens. And as God passes by God puts his hand over Moses, who's hidden in a rock. You figure that one out. That's a weird one. Passes by, lets him see the, the train of his robe, the backside of God. And all of heaven starts shouting out. This is Exodus 34, verse 5. The Lord descended. This all happens. And then the, all of heaven screams out this. The Lord! The Lord God! who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness and truth. He keeps his loving kindness to the thousands. He forgives your iniquity, your transgression. He forgives your sin. Yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. He will visit the iniquity of fathers to their children and to their grandchildren, even to the third and fourth generation. Who's your God? That's your God. That is the description of your creator. He is a father. He loves you so much and he will be merciful. He'll be compassionate, he'll be kind. Every time he speaks to you, it will be from the place of mercy and kindness. He's so patient. He's so patient. He'll come to you and he'll talk to you about something. And maybe you bristle up a little bit and you're like, ah, not this time, God. And you harden your heart you stiffen your neck and you walk away from the situation and God's like, it's okay, I'm patient, right? He takes the nut out of the fire to see if you're ready. And you're like, no, I'm not ready. And so he goes, okay. And he puts you right back in the fire. For those of you in ministry, that's what you should do instead of forcing your way. Just put them right back in it, and they'll learn. If you know what I'm talking about here, okay? <laughs> no reason to crack anybody with your rod. Just love people. It's okay. So God is a God who's compassionate, is loving. He's so merciful, but also, y'all, y'all, that came from the Ozarks right there. <laughs> y'all. He also is unchanging and unyielding. When he speaks, he means it. When he communicates to you, he commands. It's covered in mercy. It's so compassionate. But he's not giving you suggestions. I've noticed this sometimes. When I am familiar with somebody as their leader, sometimes they'll be like, hey, Jamie, hey, And there are times when I literally will have to pull up next to somebody and go, I need you to start calling me Pastor Jamie, because you're forgetting that there's authority that's trying to instruct you. And you're treating me like your buddy and you're missing out on the blessing that's trying to come to your life because you are too familiar your father in heaven. You're not to become so familiar that he's not your buddy. He loves you so much, but he is God. When he commands, he means it, and he won't change. He's patient, and he'll walk with you. But in his patience and his kindness, don't misunderstand it. He's not changing. And so the person that's going to need to change is you if you're going to keep walking with him. Don't harden your hearts. This is uh, Joshua 11. I've always wondered about this. Like how did God's people who came out of slavery with like shovels and hammers to shape rock and do whatever, like make bricks. So it's like a pitchfork people with shovels suddenly going to conquer a land filled with giants and warring tribes. It makes no sense if you're a military-minded person. Like, it makes zero sense. How in the world does this happen? How does Joshua lead a generation of people who have never, they don't know war? Were they out in the wilderness training? I really don't think they were. I don't think they're out there doing drills. I just don't think they are. I think God promised he would deliver the land into their hands. The problem is that the promise that God has for you is filled currently with with an enemy the enemy is occupying your promise and god's calling you to receive it and so joshua is going into this land and his job is to deliver the promise into the israelites hand to give them the land but it's occupied with forces and military and kings and structure and how does this People come out and suddenly have it. This says it right here. Joshua eleven eighteen. 18. Joshua waged war a long time with all of these kings. There was not a city which made peace with the sons of Israel. So in other words, they had no free passes. No one was like, oh yeah, here, have our homes. We'll just move on. That No one did that. One group, it says, except for the Hivitites. They were living in Gibeon. And Israel made the, them go to war with them. For it was the Lord look it. It was of the Lord to harden the enemy's hearts, to meet Israel in battle in order that He may utterly destroy them, that they might receive what? No mercy but that he might destroy them just as the Lord God had commanded Moses, okay? God is merciful, and every person who comes to him and unlocks their heart will receive mercy. He's no respecter of person. It doesn't matter your background. All you gotta do is soften your heart and receive. You'll get mercy. It's who he is, with the exception of those who harden their hearts and just keep saying no. So you could receive mercy, receive mercy, have this living experience where God keeps offering himself to you and you keep shaking your fist at him and you're saying, no, God, no. I don't want your mercy. God comes to you and every time he comes, it's covered in kindness. It feels like a warm summer breeze that suddenly melts away the hardness of your heart. That's what God's presence feels like. It feels like everything that is good and kind and merciful. But the thing is, is that when that happens, the defenses of your heart, your defensiveness has to come down and he will not violate that in you. You have to choose it. The enemies of the Lord stiffened up their necks. They hardened their hearts when God's presence came near and because they hardened their hearts, they were able to be destroyed. I was in a prayer meeting. You guys doing all right? I was in a prayer meeting, and um, there's there's types of ministry. Uh, it's called inner healing. It's inner healing prayer. If you're familiar with it, uh, might be called Sozo, might be called like Elijah House Ministry. There's lots of different versions of this, but the gist of it is, you are in a setting of ministry. You're sitting down with somebody, and and we go into the Lord's presence together. Like we just trust. Holy Spirit's going to be here. And the point of the ministry is that through the Holy Spirit's prompting, a person will open up their heart and talk about the rocks that are standing in the way of that life flowing. Sometimes it's pain in their past. Sometimes there's experiences that people have gone through and so, so they, they, they don't even realize it, but they're holding on to something and when they're holding on to it, it's obstructing God's blessing in their life. And so we're in this ministry setting and this young man, often, things are going awesome. The Holy Spirit's flowing and, and, and he's, he's crying and God's moving. It's so powerful and, and the Holy Spirit's prompting some questions from the people praying, right? And, and so we're asking the questions and... And, and, and the young man is opening up and he's talking about these things and the Holy Spirit must have been reminding him of stuff, right? And, and so it, he opens his mouth, he shares, oh, I have this memory and he shares it and suddenly God moves and removes that obstacle out of his heart. It's wonderful as God's healing the inside until we got to a daddy issue. And as soon as the question turned to, hey, what about your dad? <sighs> The atmosphere shifted in the room. Young man hardened his heart. And while he didn't, no, he didn't do anything like that, the atmosphere changed. Shut down. That was it. young man hardened his heart, and we're no longer talking. And we're no longer open. We're no longer willing. I'd love to tell you, oh, yes, but then God moved and everything. No, no, actually, that was the end of the session. That was it. How did it all turn out, Pastor Jamie? I have no idea. Hardness, his heart, end of conversation, in that setting. I have no doubt, though, that in the future, the Holy Spirit will come to him again and invite him to talk about what's going on in his heart concerning his father. What I can tell you is this, is that God is willing to heal you. He is willing to be so merciful to you, but it requires you letting the guard down in your heart. You have to be open and willing. You have to receive this type of situation over and over and over. I think it's a defensive mechanism. Now, I'm going to share some opinion here, and you're welcome to disagree with me. Okay? You've been wrong before. It's fine. Okay? (laughs) Now, I'm going to share some opinion, but I'm also then going to share some biblical truth. Okay? I will tell you when it's my opinion. I will tell you when it's biblical truth. You can argue if you want, but it's not. Like, I'm right, okay? So here you go. That was a joke, sorry. Woo! (laughs) Here you go. I think that we have stuff happen to us in our lives. And I think that we are not created to carry the weight and the burden of sin. I don't think you were created for it. However, God in his great wisdom allows your soul, your inner man, when sin touches your life and injures you, The scripture talks about having a broken heart. It talks about him mending the brokenness inside of you. So instead of when somebody sins against you, it destroying you, pieces of you fracture. It gives way. But you end up with something painful in your heart and you carry it as a memory. You carry it. And and what's amazing is that science is all backing this stuff up now. We can track this kind of stuff they can scan your brain they can tell you when you're saying yes and when you're saying no and so we have stuff happen to us and pain and sin hits our life and we end up carrying these kind of things and so a defensive mechanism rises up in us when someone gets near those pains so when i poke that painful place in your heart you might bristle up and shake your fist at me and say you have no right to talk to me about that but it doesn't mean that i'm it doesn't mean that, I, that I'm a, a demon. It doesn't mean that I am... I, there's so many ways that we interpret this. It means that I have a defensive mechanism that went up, and it's to protect me. you alive. When this happens to you, you're like, oh, I'm just in a bad mood. But I would like to propose to you that you are defending yourself because there's something on the inside that Jesus is touching That Jesus is trying to get a hold of. And so for me, I didn't know why on that trip I was defensive. I didn't know why I was tripping. But I was tripping, y'all. Bugging. Ah! I think that's what the kids these days say, right? (laughs) Not really. I can feel the stares from my daughters over there rolling their eyes. (laughs) But this is who your God is. See, he's not going to leave you alone because he has to deal with the stuff that's standing in the way of your destiny. And so he keeps coming to you and he's kindly speaking to you and he's talking to you about stuff. And when we bristle up or when you're in a situation where you find yourself, like somebody does something and reminds you of, and you don't even really want real, you don't know why you're triggered, but you're triggered. And so you get angry at that person and you direct your defensive mechanism at a person. You start to fight somebody, but really, and your anger and your, or or your passive aggressiveness or however it shows up in you, you find yourself squaring off with the person that's poking at the pain and you defend yourself And that moment of rising up can look like this. "Ah, stay away from me. Don't touch that. That expression and that experience, especially as a believer. See, Jesus has come into your life and he's healing you. He's touching stuff. He's talking to you. But he doesn't force his way through. He's given you a will. He loves you. He's inviting you to align your heart with his ways. He's inviting you to walk in his blessing. You're forgiven, y'all. You're forgiven. Believe that. You've received mercy. But the pain that's going on on the inside and that rearing up, that thing, he needs to deal with that. Life can beat it out of you. You can have to go through authority structures. It's what happened to me. Praise Jesus for the military. Right? I would have been known as what was called a strong-willed child. You believe that? I can't believe someone accused me of that. Thank goodness for basic training and authority figures in my life because what happened to me is that I showed up in those places and they're like telling you what to do. And I said, no, (laughs) and they went (laughs) (laughs) with the stick of authority, whack. And through pain, I repented. Through deliverance by authority, I was delivered from that hardness and resistance. But it doesn't have to be that way. And it's my invitation to you today. It doesn't have to be by someone having to force you to submit. You can choose. And I know at times when when someone pokes it and that thing raises up, the last thing in the world you want to do, because you're trying to defend yourself, the last thing you want to do is lower your defenses. It's so hard. But it's the invitation of the Lord That when he draws near and he speaks, do not harden your hearts. Don't resist him. Because if you'll just open up, he'll come in and you'll have sweet fellowship. He'll heal you. He'll restore you. He'll deliver you. There's so much that can happen that's good. Second story. We're on our way home, driving. We're... It's a 10 hour drive, and we did it all in one chunk. And we get all the way into Minnesota. We're at the Albert Lee. There's like this rest stop there. And I was still triggered. Just, I was, I don't know what's going on with me. You know? If you can believe that, your pastor doesn't know everything. And I'm, I'm, I'm in this irritated state, and this is what happened. I, we pull in for gas. And as I opened the door, I felt this warm summer breeze blow in the car. Immediately, my heart melted. Immediately, my eyes filled up with tears. Immediately, the presence of the Lord ministered to my heart. And I was done. All my defensive mechanisms gone. He just disarmed me. Just like that. Just a little breeze. And I was like, whoa, what in the world was that? And I could hear this music playing at the gas station of all places. And I'm like, is that Matt Redman? It was a worship song. Worship music is blaring over the gas pumps. And and the anointing of the Lord's kindness was resting on the music. Music. And as soon as his voice pulled up next to my heart, I softened immediately and I listened to him and he spoke to me. Immediately my defensive walls came down. Immediately his mercy came in. Washed me. Boom! It's your heart. He's not going to force his way. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you hear my voice, this is Revelation 3.20. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we will have fellowship. If you stiffen up and you harden your heart, he'll just pull back and he'll wait. And my prayer for you is that you don't wait too long. Because he is no respecter of persons and there will be a day when you will face his judgment seat. And in that day, all of the witnesses of your God encounters and his previous voice to you will be standing there with you. And it will be no one else having to accuse you. It will be all of the God encounters and the testimonies of his goodness in your life that will stand there. Bearing witness, whether you listened and softened your heart or that you hardened and you held on, and now you must pay the penalty. Are you alive? As we close here, I just I, I felt compelled to say something here, and again, I'm, I'm not meaning to be so strong-handed with this. I just want to be clear, okay? There's a lot of talk about deliverance these days a lot of there's teaching there's a movie out right now a lot of it about the manifestation of demons talking about Christians that are demonized i you know the, there's there's nuance to that conversation i'm not going to get into the fray i want to be clear with you though in the scriptures every single time every single time it talks about a person that is demonized it's the word diamonazomi or is the word echo It's the same picture over and over and over. It is this. Let me ask you a question right now. Does the microphone have me or do I possess the microphone? This is demon possession. One who possesses the demon. Not the demon possessing the person. No, no when a person gets demonized when there is torment in their life there is always a reason they're holding on to something okay when you are experiencing torment when you're experiencing pain you're defending that pain and you might rise up in your defense And in your defense, you might have demonic things attached to what you are holding on to. Now let me ask you a question. Do you like getting on the head with authority? Or would you rather relinquish and have it just go without having to vomit and scream and throw yourself on the ground in a tantrum? friends the manifestation of god's presence is going to have it out either way up to you how messy you want it because when we're in those situations and we find ourselves raw you don't touch my pain you may find yourself with some torment attached to you the thing you're holding on to but in the same way the holy spirit of god indwells you okay your will is still intact. The demon is not commanding and telling you what to do. That's not how it works. The person is still there. And so if you find yourself ministering to a person who is rearing up and angry and whatever, please, you may have to use the rod of authority, but be also oh merciful, because I will warn you that when Moses used the rod of authority when the hearts were pliable, it cost him his promise. You see, this is not a blind ambition. We're just going to cast the devil out of the world. That's not the, the generation that you are working with right now. Is tender, and they're in pain. And so many people through 2020 and the years that have followed have found themselves suffering from fear and torment, and under, there's immense pressure, and there's an environment that is causing people to manifest. It doesn't mean there's a demon in everyone. It means that people are just simply needing to hear the word of the Lord and say yes to him. And so as you find yourself out there talking with people that are, ah, no, I don't want that. You may just realize that at the root of that is a little boy or a little girl who is scared and they are defending themselves and they just need his mercy and kindness. Are you alive? I'm going to lead us in a prayer here to close, okay? I, I'm not, I was. We, I had originally thought, oh, we'll open up the altars and it'll be a fun, messy time. No, no, no. Not even going to do it. This, this week, the Lord is going to speak to you. He's going to connect with you. He's going to touch you. He's going to communicate with you. He's going to give you dreams. He's going to speak to you in music. He's going to do all that kind of stuff. I know it. I trust that the Holy Spirit is at work, okay? What I am asking of you in this time right now is let's pray together and let's already say yes. Let's put our hearts in a position where we're like, God, yeah, we want you. And I don't know necessarily what's going on on in the inside, God, but you do. You know my heart and you know how to bring healing. Are you alive? Would you please stand to your feet today? Yep, yeah, and there was the golf clap. Awesome. It's all right. You're good. Yeah. We don't know what to do right now. That's great. <laughs> when the Holy Spirit moves in your heart, when He speaks to you, don't stiffen up, soften your heart, listen to Him. The Spirit of this age will also try to move you emotionally. Okay? But like John the Apostle said, test the spirits. Just because something moved you emotionally doesn't mean you should open your heart to it. Hollywood's been trying to move in your heart for years. Oh, get you to open up to something emotionally, right? Let down your guard and then the insertion of something that is not true comes in. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying to you, not every time your heart is moved, you should just open up and receive whatever it is, no. When you hear your father's voice, you should soften your heart and listen. Pastor Jamie, I don't know my father's voice. Ah, no, no, you do. Because when he speaks to you, there is something in it that is so kind and it's filled with mercy. And when he draws near, your heart will melt. You know your father's voice, do not be afraid. Just put a hand on your own heart this morning. I want you to pray with me right now. Just pray with me, okay? You know, every voice, if you just repeat after what I say. Now listen, it's not a magical prayer. It's not magical words. It is just a prayer that expresses what I'm preaching right now. And if you will align your heart, if you'll say yes to him, oh, my friends, God will move in your life. Just pray with me right now. Father in heaven. Thank you for sending Jesus who died in my place to offer me mercy, to wash me clean. Today I choose to open my life and to invite him in. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. I submit to you. Be my Lord. Be my savior. Be my king. Please forgive me, Jesus. Please wash me. I surrender my life to you. Now, Father, I'm asking this week that you would release your voice, your Holy Spirit would touch lives and awaken them. God, where, where people have opened their hearts to Hollywood and the world, Lord, where where, where other, when another spirit has influenced, God, I, I pray that you would come with your kindness and bring a deliverance, Lord, a changing of mind, a repentance. Lord, let your kindness come and woo the hearts of your children. Remind them of who you made them to be, God, that they would be delivered from delusions. They would be delivered, Lord, from false identities. Lord, That your kindness would come in and remind them of truth. Father, where there is obstinance and hardness of heart, Lord, that stands in the way of generations receiving your promise, I pray, God, that authority would come alongside, Lord, and through your authority, you would bring a strong deliverance to them. Father, I pray that Jesus would get what he paid for, that your mercy would be released, and that your people would come into alignment with your ways, that this generation might know the Lord, Holy Father, would you breathe your spirit on people. Baptize them in your presence, Lord. Heal them, strengthen them, Lord. Align their feet with your path. I bless, I bless, I bless your people today. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's face be towards you. May he be gracious to you. May his countenance and his favor line up on your life and may he grant you peace that your way, your life would be guarded in his shalom and blessing. All the rocks would be moved out of the way that the river of life could flow. God, I bless your people today in Jesus' mighty name. And anybody who dared to agree with that said, come on, can we give a good clap to the Lord today? Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. It's our hope that God touched your life in a truly meaningful way. And if you were impacted, please let us know by writing a review or share it with friends. If you'd like more information on The House Church, we would love to connect you with our community. Please visit us at ithehouse.org for more information. We'll see you next week.